Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim, and welcome to the Backstage Show. This week on the Backstage Show, costumes, makeup, and props. Oh my! Costumes, makeup, and props. Oh my! Costumes, makeup, and props. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> so we're uh, going to discuss a few topics that we have not yet discussed, but are kind of key to theater. Yeah, this is sort of a uh, potpourri type of episode, if you will, a grab bag, as it were, of important aspects of putting on a production that we have probably alluded to in the past, but just haven't really been able to focus episodes on. And we're going to combine them into one episode because we're running out of those. And we don't really have the ability to focus on much of anything anymore. Yeah, and I don't think but there's really do... enough to say about each one of them individually as their own episodes. So Well, well just certainly, not, certainly not on our own. Uh, if we had the time and inclination to bring in some experts, and who knows if we ever come back after the lauded episode 100 perhaps we will have some guests that's presumptuous isn't it (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little uh but if we ever do come back then maybe we'll get some experts on to cover these but meantime we're gonna do our best to at least discuss them somewhat with our limited experience in each yeah (laughs) exactly where do you want to start costumes makeup or props well we may as well uh keep it in alphabetical order i guess Okay. Start well, with the costumes. There we go. So, <laughs> C is for costumes, and costumes <laughs> is for C. Well, I oh, mean, wait, no, costumes are for me. <laughs> well, the first primary advantage of costumes is that it prevents the actress from being naked on stage, which for most productions you generally don't want, but not all. Other than <laughs> no, this is true. For so that, refer to back that. to season one, episode whatever. We talk about that. <laughs> yes. Anyway, generally they're very important to the production. It's something that. Most audience members are definitely going to take notice of or take notice of the lack thereof, so to speak. And, and by the lack thereof, I'm talking about not really putting enough effort into costumes. So Right. Poorly done costumes. Exactly. So I'm just trying to emphasize that costumes are a very visible element of the show that are going to get the attention of a lot of people watching it. So it is very important to do justice to them. Indeed. Uh, you've got kind of like a few different general types of costuming. The one that's, I guess, most arguably the easiest and the least likely to be noticed by an audience would just be contemporary costuming where they're pretty much just wearing what people would normally wear, which isn't to say there's no thought put into that because, you know, we'll get into some details uh, later, but it's a little more straightforward, I guess. Yeah, and that's a situation where if you have a show with a limited budget, especially for costumes you can usually rely on the actors to provide their own wardrobe. Right. So other than that, you've got a period show, which is somewhat similar to that, depending on the period, I guess. But you're talking about something that could go, you know, period being, you know, medieval England uh, up to, you know, like the 70s or the 60s or something that's just distinctive for a particular period. And all points in between. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and then the third would be uh, fantasy-based, where you're dealing with, uh, I don't know, what's an example of that? I, I like science fiction, but there's not a lot of sci-fi plays out there. <laughs> there should be more of them. There should be, yes. Gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's say, uh, well, let's take, for example, Shakespeare, A Midsummer Night's Dream, where you have a lot of characters who are fairies, uh, for right. instance. Those That would be fantasy-based. That would be stage-worthy or common to see on stage. Yes. I, I, there's probably a certain amount of overlap between period and fantasy-based because you might like consider, I don't know, like pirates to be fantasy based, but in reality, that's more of period costumes. Yeah, or like uh, a ghost could be kind of fantasy based because that usually involves something different about their appearance. Sure, sure, that that makes sense. So, so those are the three general sections of costuming that we've kind of identified. Right. So, as I mentioned, there usually has to be some amount of the budget allocated towards costumes, depending on these factors, period piece, you know really depending upon the complexity of the costumes and how likely people are to have going to have them in their closets already. Sure. I mean, obviously, the easiest way to do costuming is just for the cast to raid their own closets and supply their own clothing. <laughs> right. But many community theaters, at least that I've encountered, have some sort of a wardrobe on hand. Limited, yeah, they'll, usually. They'll have, whether it's contemporary or period, they will usually have at least some costumes... Uh, available right usually in pretty limited sizes <laughs> yeah yeah i think for at least for men usually there's some selection of uh sport jackets and slacks uh shoes mm -hmm. perhaps uh coats for women there might be some kinds of dresses although dresses are a little bit tougher to match to a particular you have a little bit more flexibility with suits to have them work in a broader variety of time periods, whereas dresses are probably more specific. Yeah, I think men's fashion tends to uh, be a little slower to change than women's. You're just dealing with like lapel sizes and things like that. On yeah, coats. yeah. But you're, you'll also have lots of accessories up there, ties and hats. Mm -hmm. and, Belts. Uh, usually some shoes. Mm -hmm. and yeah, you never know what you might get up there. But th that is usually the first place you'll look. Beyond that, you might look into... Uh, renting or buying or borrowing from other theaters if you don't have what you need. Yep. Getting in touch with other theaters is definitely handy. Or another common place to look is a thrift shop. Sure. that That is, I, I, I'm sure a lot of costumes have come from that. The best source of costume that I can think of was when I did The Bride of Brackenlock. And I played a Scottish character and I needed a kilt. <laughs> and my kilt was basically an extremely large schoolgirls skirt uniform school uniform girl skirt. yeah mm -hmm. yep and i remember kind of wrapped around me yep <laughs> so you yeah, never know the, what three your layers of underwear be. underneath probably <laughs> i think it was just one. Oh, okay hey <laughs> at least i didn't go full scottish <laughs> the people in the front row thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> um, so beyond that uh if you have a very talented costumer and you're lucky enough to have that there are occasionally costumes that are just made from scratch that's right. If a play has very specific needs, then you are going to need a customer who has those tailoring capabilities. Absolutely. And I mean, beyond that, it's it's also convenient to have that if uh, things need to be altered. Because yeah. as I said, the sizes are usually pretty limited as far as what a theater owns. Right. And one of the first things a customer will do as soon as early in the process as possible will be to come in and get people's measurements if they don't already know them. Um, depending yeah. on what they need to know for the types of costumes that they have to wear. 
I, I've seen a couple of different ways that's done. Sometimes the customer will come in and either ask or do actual measurements. I've also seen just kind of a form that's handed out to everybody, like at the first rehearsal, asking for their sizes and stuff. But at some point, assuming you're not providing your own clothing, they probably are going to need to know your your size, your measurements to some extent. And I'm going to guess it's probably largely true that many people don't offhand know all the measurements that the costumer needs. So taking measurements is almost going to happen, <laughs> guaranteed yeah. to happen in those cases. Yeah, I mean, honestly... I think you're generally right, though. I don't think I've been measured that often. I mean, sure, a handful of times I have been, but compared with the uh, as a percentage of the amount of shows I've done, it's pretty low. Usually, they're just surprised that I'm a little uh, how to put this delicately. I'm a little wider than people think I am. <laughs> yeah, if he turns to the side, he disappears. <laughs> Not at all true, but that's what people <laughs> seem to think. <laughs> I'm not. Scrawny. I always thought you were so two dimensional, Glenn. Yes. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> so uh, then, when you're going to uh, to start to decide on costumes, and I think this is where we have a little bit more experience as directors to to choose and approve and disapprove. There might be different considerations that you'll take into effect as far as the specific costumes go. Uh, you might be going for like a color palette. I know I've done right. that before, where you have, you know, like. You can use symbolism with that where mm -hmm. all your, I, just to overgeneralize this greatly, like all your evil characters are wearing red, all your good characters are wearing white, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The white hats. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's an extremely simplified example, but okay. Yes. I'll, 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 <laughs> I hear you. Yes, or maybe even individual characters have sort of their own color palette that reflects their personality or emotional state. Absolutely, yeah. We've gone with that as well. I mean, you look at like the uh, the play Clue, yep. where you you have characters identified literally by color. Oddly enough, though, in the movie, I think all the characters did not wear the colors that they were named after. Hmm. Presumably, intentionally, I did not remember that. Yep. That's <laughs> so true. other true story. other <laughs> other considerations you might take into effect when uh, approving or generating your costumes would be like a. Uh, a social class kind of yep. thing that that like uh, say in the musical Titanic that's definitely going to take effect because sure. you've got you know your first class second class third class passengers you want to give them you know your third class passengers as a whole their costumes are going to look different than those of the first class passengers right and another practical consideration this depends on the production and how realistic you want to take it but the director and the costumer have to kind of work together. And in my past experience, the costumers are usually very good about dissecting the script, but figuring out how much time passes between scenes or acts mm -hmm. so as to determine, well, how many different outfits would a character realistically be wearing in that time in which the play takes place? Like, do they right. need a different costume for act one versus act two? Do they need to change costumes between scenes at some point? That All those kinds of things. Costumers, in my experience, are very good at breaking that down per character and figuring out how many different changes of clothes they need. Assuming you're not going for something uh, just more functional in terms of, you know, the characters are generally wearing the same costumes throughout regardless of how much time passes, that kind of thing. I've seen that kind of like a representational costume, yeah. Sure. Or like cartoon characters who always wear the same outfits, but... Yes. <laughs> um, or maybe it's as simple as, okay, in this scene you go out with a different color tie or something like that. Yeah, I, that's the other thing. It's just kind of, 
uh, changes like that from scene to scene within a play, you also need to take into account the time that it takes to change a costume. Exactly. So, and and a good customer will also take that into account to make certain changes a little simpler because you know you have less time for them. Right. And hopefully a good playwright takes that into account too, by the way, I should add, because yeah, if they uh, have a character leaving and then two minutes later come on in a completely different, really elaborate costume that's really hard to get into, that's not going to fly very well. I've seen it happen though. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of frustrating when that does happen. So again, hopefully the playwright has considered that when structuring their play and the uh, entrances and exits of the characters. Not always, yeah. but usually it works out that way. Absolutely. I also think that when you're dealing with these costumes that and costume changes and certain things, you are almost, when the actors are interacting with parts of the costume, it almost becomes a prop. Uh, sometimes, I mean, you can literally call it that, like a hat might be referred to as a prop rather than part of a costume, but technically the costumer should kind of have their hands on that and know that that is part of the costume. But That blurs you, the lines a lot. Absolutely, and it's just, it's good to have that early on mm -hmm. so that the actors get a chance to practice with it. Yeah, when they're wearing it, it's a costume. When they're we've taken it off and they're manipulating it, then it's a prop. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Probably the single most important piece of costuming that uh, the actors really need to help get into their performances during the rehearsal process is shoes. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that to varying extents. It kind of depends on the character and on the footwear. I think some yeah. are more important than others. Like if you have a uh, woman character who's wearing heels, then it's probably a good idea to have them get into that earlier if people are just wearing you know rubber soled shoes it might not be as important but right yeah right. it's it just it makes it feel different as both a director and an actor sure i do see the importance of your your character shoes it just totally affects how the actor carries him or herself and how they feel getting around the stage and just interacting with the stage and the other actors it, it really conveys a just a different sense or air of the personality of the character. And not only that, the other factor that that takes in is just the noise that the shoes make. I've seen yeah. certain certain shoes just make so much noise that it takes a little bit to get used to that the sound of the clicking or if they're walking off stage, they need to know that they kind of have to continue a few steps and step lighter so that it sounds like they're continuing to walk away <laughs> and you don't just get this abrupt like... Well, like, that can be okay. a problem based on the uh, backstage space available at some theaters because yeah. as soon as you walk off stage, you have almost nowhere to go in some cases. Well, that's that's where you start to walk lighter and lighter and just right. stand in place and Then you have walk. to act like you're walking away off in the distance. Yep. yep, yep. It can get tricky. Yeah, another thing that gets tricky, and it usually doesn't come up in community theater, but in my past experience uh, with doing sound with high school auditoriums, if they put if they have floor mics across the front of the stage, uh, they yes. pick up all the footsteps. I seem to remember dealing with that. Was it Picasso with the La Panagile where, where they had the yeah. floor mics? Yeah. Uh, and that was just, that probably drove me crazy. That sounds like the kind of thing that would drive me crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's like, yeah, I don't really understand the advantage of those floor mics on the stage. Because it's really mostly picking up footsteps. <laughs> exactly. I, um, unless you're doing a tap dancing review, I don't really think there's a lot of yeah. benefit to them. I, it's probably just the quality that, we, that we've that we dealt with. 
maybe, or just the quality of the footwear. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Could be either. So maybe that's kind of a general... For, maybe they're meant for less echoey stages or, or floors. Yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> maybe. Other than that, I would just say that at some point, there's usually during the rehearsal process some kind of a fashion show that goes on once the costumer has pieces of costume uh, for different actors to try as well as to model for the director to get his or her approval. Yeah, I've seen that kind of take place as, as like you said, kind of a full-on fashion show where each person <laughs> goes through and shows off their costume. I've also seen it just kind of take place during rehearsal where they'll walk up to the back of the theater and go, how's this? Good, move on, yep, go back yeah. to the actual rehearsal. <laughs> but it's usually not until, I think, tech week once you really see all of the costumes in full use and get a sense of, okay, well maybe that quite didn't work there or so-and-so didn't really have enough time to change there. So let's simplify things a little bit. And I've also seen where costumes can look a little bit different under the lights when you get that. And I've I've had circumstances where costumes get changed after the lighting goes up. That is yet another consideration to take into. And as we've said before, not all these things really come together until tech week starts. So Mm -hmm. you have to be flexible a little bit. So that's kind of a general overview of costumes. So let's uh, move on. Uh, makeup. <laughs> so makeup. We've got fairly limited types of makeup. And I think in community theater, it's probably not stressed as much as it is in professional theater because usually the audience is closer and it's right. mostly just, you know, your standard makeup is kind of just to avoid looking washed out under the lights. Sure. You're not worried about how well somebody can see your features from, you know, hundred feet away exactly it's much more intimate and in fact that works against you because since the audience is pretty much right in front of you if you were to use that kind of makeup it would probably seem very distracting yeah it would look very theatrical as mm-hmm. opposed to just your standard makeup i mean men would usually wear makeup even in community theater at just at least a you know a base of powder so that you're not looking shiny under the lights but Beyond that, yeah, you might want to darken eyebrows or do something like that. Just Eyeliner to, is a yeah, common thing to use. That kind of thing. So I that's admi- that's your standard makeup. I admit I've been generally when I when I have acted in community theater, I've been extremely lax in the makeup department. I hardly ever used it. Yeah, I'll, I, most of the time I'm just doing powder. If it's something a little more complicated, I might do you know foundation at the most and but i haven't done anything all that elaborate usually the directors don't push it and usually it's not very needed yeah for the reasons but we that's stated standard <laughs> there there are however circumstances under which you might need to up that makeup game a little bit for example aging yes that is something i have been subjected to quite a bit earlier in my theatrical career mainly in high school <laughs> when i was usually not, cast. not just uh, not just because you look so youthful now <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because I usually got cast in roles that were decades older than I actually was at the time. Hmm. Yeah, so, it's that that can do it. Also, I, I mean, even community theater sometimes you'll cast a younger actor as older. It probably happens, yeah, rarely, frequently, even. But then there's yeah. other circumstances like, um, and this kind of crosses the line between aging makeup and like fantasy or horror makeup when we had to age Dracula. Uh, right, right. Look, I, supposed to look like, I think, several hundred years old, which <laughs> not overly realistic and not really uh, much you can base that off. But yeah, we had to age him as much as possible. Long nails, long gray hair, really contouring the lines, that sort of stuff. Like your average bicentenarian. Yeah, exactly. 
and, or tricentenarian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that uh, that does blur the line into the fantasy horror makeup where, uh, once again, in addition to Dracula, as we've mentioned a hundred times, well, probably not a hundred, we're only on 98 episodes, but <laughs> as we've mentioned several times, I also directed Frankenstein, which right. of course has uh, the, the creature who, you know, needed to look like he was pieced together from several people. And how did, how was that put together again? I forget the ex- specifics of what his makeup looked like. Uh, well, we didn't do like bolts in the neck. <laughs> we, well, no, we didn't no, that that's not in the original. Uh, it, novel. it was, uh, yeah, it, it was latex, latex scar, that kind of stuff. Okay, okay. Which, uh, so there's actually a common latex allergy, which you have to look out for. And the guy who played our creature actually developed an allergy to it Ooh. during the production. So by the end of the show, he had actual marks where the scars had been placed on him, mm-hmm. which was not pleasant, but. Chris was a trooper with that. I had a similar story. It wasn't quite allergy, but it was certainly skin irritation related. Uh, when mm. I played the rabbi in the Fiddler on the Roof in high school, of Please course, don't tell me you had a, uh, a fake nose. No. Good. I had Go a on. fake beard, however, ah. because I was only 17 at the time and could nowhere, <laughs> had no chance of being able to grow a beard large enough for the rabbi. So I had a glued on right. beard, which of course you use spirit gum for. And taking that off my face several after several nights in a row, it was, it was you know causing rashes and irritation and sores and stuff, and that was really fun. Yeah, the spirit gum is the is skin glue, I guess, basically. Yeah. But that stuff smells. Even horrible. though they do make a yeah, it smells horrible, and they do make a spirit gum remover, but it doesn't seem to work that well. It doesn't exactly dissolve it or anything because I've <laughs> I've dealt with that. I more often like Halloween costumes is what I've dealt with that with, but it's still, it, it can be nasty. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And also along the lines of the fantasy horror makeup is also like injury makeup where sometimes it might be a, a black eye, which just requires some coloring or it might be scars like with the creature. I've experienced with that when yeah. I did rumors at village players a long time ago, I played a character who, at one point in the middle of the play, got socked in the nose by his wife and, right. you know, left the left the set, left the scene, and then came back after this happened. This all happens off stage. And while I was off stage, I'd go to the makeup chair and make myself up around the bridge of my nose, kind of just put some blue and green kind of colored. Uh, actually, I don't remember if I did it myself or somebody did it for me, but uh, mm. just put some, you know, blue and green kind of coloration around the sides of the bridges of my nose near my eyes. And then I had to go back on stage like that uh, for the rest of the play, basically. Except for, I think, the one night we're doing the cast photo after the show was over. So I went and cleaned it all off before I posed, (laughs) because I did not want to look that way in the cast photo. Right. Yeah, I actually did that show twice. And I don't, I want to say they just had like a like a bloody handkerchief that they held to their nose. Well, I had I don't that too, but bruising. no, I was bruised too. I, I honestly don't remember. I, that that it was such a weird experience. I did that show twice. I played the same role both times, and the way that show works is it's a bunch of characters that I, I mean they think what is it exactly somebody they think a guy somebody? they think a friend of theirs uh, killed him shot himself when uh, they came over to his house for a party. Okay, that's right. And then I played one of the cops that comes in later and starts to question everybody. So when I come in, they're all pretending to be someone else. Right, right. They're so I never knew who was actually playing who. 
both times because I, I only knew them by their fake characters' names. Right, right. My character so was not pretending to be anybody else, but I don't think it was relevant by that point in the play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting show. Yeah. Now, the old age makeup, just real quick. I, mm. having gone through the makeup chair so many times myself with it and getting a sense of how to do it, it actually got to the point where in recent years, I actually applied that makeup to other people in shows I was in. So I got <laughs> the sense skilled. of, you know, doing the dark lines, you know, accentuating all the wrinkles on the face and then doing mm -hmm. the lighter lines next to that and kind of blending everything in together to accentuate the actor's natural wrinkles, but also to make it, and it up close again, it looked like, you know, a Halloween costume, but from oh, further sure. away under the lights, it could be perceived more with the intended effect. Right. That was the same with with Aging Dracula. In fact, I think if you go onto YouTube and search Dracula Ages, you may be able to find a video that we took backstage of Dracula actually applying the aging makeup I to remember himself. that. Yeah. Sped up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sped up because it took him, because he had a long time to do it, so it took several minutes. But... Yeah, right. search for that. Dracula ages. And he had to do that in that play because you needed a younger actor for that role because he yes. sort of reverse ages throughout the play. Exactly. So let's see. That that, that pretty much covers makeup. Mm -hmm. No pun intended. No pun achieved. That moves <laughs> on to props. Props to my man Glenn here. <laughs> Wait, I have to discuss it all myself? Not those props. <laughs> Oh, oh, different props. So um, yeah. obviously actors hold things. They work with things. Otherwise, it would just be a bunch of people on a stage with nothing there. So props, <laughs> clearly very important. Or they'd be miming. <laughs> right. Which sometimes they do. Right. Well, but just like the costumes, contemporary versus period is usually a, a big consideration for props. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, especially if you're dealing with contemporary props, people will have them and you'll just borrow them from various various cast or crew. A lot of theaters do have them have a, uh, a prop room where they keep a bunch of stuff that gets used a lot. Right. Uh, yeah, there are certain kinds of props that kind of come up in most of the productions a theater might do. So it's good to have them around or the good neighbor policy of working with other theaters, again, can come in handy to share or borrow props from one another. Absolutely. And hey, thrift and then, shops are a great place again, too. Yep. Last resort is buying new. Second to last resort is buying used. But usually you try to beg, borrow, or, well, beg or borrow. You don't steal. Yeah, I wouldn't that. That would be it. bad. <laughs> and and occasionally you might make something. Yep. That, that like, a lot of, like, paper props, like if you're dealing with documents or that kind of thing, you might print something up or write something up that's fake. Sure, yeah. Uh, one of the best props in a show that I directed was getting a early 20th century period flashlight. Don't you mean a torch? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it was actually uh, electric, I think. Well, or, no, a torch as in the, the British version. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> so had a guy, Fish, we love you, man, uh, who, you know, looked up a picture of one at a rehearsal one night, and by the next rehearsal, he already had one built. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I had to create, uh, I cannot remember the name of the play. I played a character called, uh, it was uh, Staff Sergeant Froggy Lassure. Oh, that was the foreigner. The foreigner, thank you. And I had to create a, uh, not a bomb, but the, the a detonator. <laughs> I'm and sorry. And I, I like had all sorts of wires and stuff coming out of it. 
Jim's cracking up. What are you cracking I'm up? I'm cracking up because because of my line of work, when you say bomb, I automatically think in my head, bill of materials. <laughs> B-O-M <laughs> instead of explosive. No, no. no a bomb. <laughs> a bomba. Okay. Bomb. I'm with you. But uh, yeah, it was it was the detonator that I had to do, and, and that was kind of fun with all sorts of wires sticking out of there and a plunger and that that kind of silliness. It's I I personally really enjoy making props. I don't get that opportunity very often, and you know I, I don't think the word is out that I enjoy doing that. So nobody's ever asked me to do it. <laughs> all right, but well. yeah, prop prop making is fun. I think. All right, and if you'd like Glenn to make props for your next production, please contact us at the Backstage Show by visiting our website, backstage.link, and clicking Contact the Show. And from there, you can email us at podcast at backstage.link or call us at 267-225-8869. I'm just trying to help you out here. I know. (laughs) So, props, props, props. So... The other thing that you're going to be dealing with with props is when and how to use them in rehearsals because you don't want to introduce them too early because then if characters are, you know, excuse me, if the actors aren't really off book yet, then props are likely to distract them and make that even worse. Yeah, they might but not at the same have time, enough you don't hands wanna, free. <laughs> right. You don't want to introduce them too late because then that doesn't give them enough time to get used to them. Right. I think the actors best, well, based on what you just described, I'd say the best time for actors to start working with the real props would be when they're off book or starting to get off book. Absolutely. And uh, you definitely, by tech week, that's when you're like, okay, if we don't have a prop, let us know because the actors get used to kind of miming or using a substitute, which as a director, you may not even notice because you're concentrating on other things. So it's kind of important for stage manager and that sort of thing to be really on the ball and know what we actually have and what we don't. Yeah. And certain props that are a little bit more complicated to use in others, say like gun props, for instance, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. There's definitely going to have to be some time spent with getting the proper feel for that and working that into the performance seamlessly and everybody getting used to it. Although with those kinds of props or just the more delicate props in general, you don't want to Mm -hmm. introduce them too early because there's a very good chance somebody's going to break them or hurt them. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely need to be careful with the more fragile props. And also, you might be dealing with a situation where something is being rented, in which case you might not have it until tech or possibly partway through tech. That's right. I have had that circumstance a few times. What did you rent? Offhand, I do not remember. I think it was a show that I was in, and it was not a prop that I used, but I do recall it happening. It does happen. I have donated some props to productions that I was involved with or theaters I've worked on. One of the ones that come to mind is an electric typewriter. Because <laughs> everybody even uses know you had those. an electric typewriter. I used to. <laughs> ah. And everybody uses <laughs> those nowadays still, right? But yeah. No, this states... Well, that's that's one of those things that I think a lot of theaters have in there. Like I I'm trying to think of Barley Sheaf's prop room. I, I think they have one electric and one manual typewriter up there. Phones. There's always a lot of phones up there. Yeah. And phones can vary considerably from one period to another. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, we're all cell phones, but then you've got the, as far as plug-in phones, you've got the rotary, you got the push button, you got the cordless, you got all sorts of different types of phones. And that was like, you know, we'll go back to True West. Somebody gets choked with a phone cord. Mm-hmm. So you needed a corded phone. And we got the, I don't know what you used. We got the one with the extra long cord, the kind that used to, you know, for us older folks would walk around your kitchen. Usually, <laughs> I used to have one of those growing up. 
Yeah. As a kid. A in the kitchen. No, <laughs> phone in the, the kitchen lo- with the extra long cord. That's They were always in the kitchen. I don't know why the extra long corded phones were was, always in the kitchen. And but... it was mounted to the wall. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we used in True West. True West, in my case, was probably definitely one of the more intricate props-related shows I did because, well, yeah. one, all those toasters, for one thing. Right. And two was the, uh, well, we slightly modernized it uh, to not use typewriters, but laptops, one of yeah, which had to be smashed with the golf club. I, I saw the show on Broadway, and they, they had actual typewriters, and they it was set, period. It was set, period, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's, a, that's probably a change that both of us did that we weren't allowed to, but you can go back to our previous episode and <laughs> I guess, season one or two to learn about what we should not have done. <laughs> right. Well, in this case, it was a matter of basically having two prop laptops, one that was the the good one that was used throughout mm-hmm. most of the show, and then swapping it out in the last scene for the one that uh, got smashed. And of course, yep. that one got smashed so bad towards the end of the run that I think the good one became the smashed one by the last show. That's exactly the same thing <laughs> we did. We had like a good one and a bad one. The, the the bad one got smashed up, and then closing night, we're like, the heck with it, just smash up the good one, because we're done now. Well, and he it had obliterated difficult. the bad one by that yeah. point. <laughs> it was difficult, because you've got to get two laptops that basically look the same. Or close enough. And we started off, we had one that looked completely different than the other one, so we I, had to kind of hunt down two that looked similar. I think we ended up painting one of the two to match the other one, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah, that works, too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, props can be a bit of a challenge, as can costumes as can makeup these are all very vital parts of a show not just a little vital very vital yeah it's with everything else you can have great performances great directing but it's one of those things that if this isn't done well too people are going to notice it absolutely so that kind of ties up costumes and makeup and props oh my oh my So if you have any comments on our, our bad jokes or questions or ideas for our last two episodes, like we don't have those all perfectly planned out by now, you can contact us by visiting our website. That's podcast.backstage.link and clicking on contact the show. You can also leave us a voicemail or a text message. And please do by calling 267-225-8869. Leave a message and I guarantee it will be in our final episode. You know, it'd be great if we could just do the whole final episode of voicemails and text messages. <laughs> Don't think that's going to happen. I'm but not going to hold my one, breath. Send us something and it will be in there. Unless you're, you know, I guess we'll bleep you out if you're going to curse. But <laughs> we, we will we'll make room for it. We, I, will, we will air your voicemail. 267-225-8869. And I know we're winding down here, but we've got a plethora of back catalog episodes. So check them out if you haven't already done so. Yep, you can find those on our website, podcast.backstage.link, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Or downloaded for free. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, leave us a review. Tell us, tell a friend about us. Tell a friend to beg us not to stop. You can beg us not to stop. Tell us to stop early. Whatever you want to do. And with that in mind, we don't know when we'll be back next, but we've got two more episodes left, so coming soon. We do, we'll we do have an idea of the topic, though. Yeah, we, we know what the topic will be. Yeah. Do we want to announce that? Or do uh, we want to keep it a secret? I don't know. Well, we, we have previously announced upcoming episodes in the past, so. We have. We could do that here, since we know we what, what it will be. Yes, we could. But we're not going to. So until next right. time, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And thank you for joining us backstage. <laughs> Bye-bye.
What a tease. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I did that. That's funny, oh. though. I liked it. Ha. Huh. Now I'm recording, too. Okay, then. Peter Parker picked a peck of pickled peppers. Wait, that's Peter Piper, not Peter Parker. <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> Is he cool? Listen, bud, he's got radioactive blood. First of all, my name's not Bud. Second of all, that doesn't answer my question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not hip to your lingo. Whoa. There we go now. Wow. I'm not so tiny. What? What did you do? I zoomed in. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. So you're saying it doesn't work in real life? No. I thought not. No, they cannot make you invisible in real life yet. Hi, I'm Glenn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim. Oh, wait, that's not. Me. Hi, he's Jim, and he's Glenn. <laughs> and welcome. welcome to the. <laughs> uh, it's my turn. I know that much. I thought it was even my though turn, we're on an odd, an even, even number, because you know. did it last time. Oh, whatever. Okay. All right, was it's it... an even numbered episode, so let's do what we're supposed to do, okay, which is you. I, I will not be putting this in the outtakes. <laughs> All right, ready. Uh, I've been ready. Okay. I was born ready. Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to... Why Why are you Batman? I don't know. That was just my natural voice. What? Hi, I'm Glenn. (laughs) Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the backstage show. What? That was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, right. Hi, I'm Glenn. Sorry. Go ahead. Time one more time. I'll, I won't talk over you this time. Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And well, <laughs> I don't. Something, something weird happened with my voice. Is there more to do? Did we have more to do, or is that it? Uh, so where do you want to start? Costumes, makeups, or props? Costume, oh, makeups. Well. <laughs> Costume, want- makeup. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the the three general theming theme blah, 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 blah. and one of the thirst yeah but and i will say thing, i'm sorry go ahead yeah, no go ahead other than so that i'd of, oh sorry we've got fairly limited uh types of ma- um sorry i lost my train of thought oh oh my goodness <laughs>